Okay. Worship time goes too quick. It's like half over already. Anyway, we uh, proceed in Romans 8. We come to the finish of our study of Romans 8. I'm going to kind of miss that. But I know what we've got waiting is Romans 9, so I can't be too disheartened. (laughs) Uh, There's definitely some excitement there. But uh, we come to the very top of the mountain, folks. We're there. We are looking at the height, the depth. I mean, we're looking at everything that God has intended for us to know. Uh, as far as eternal security is, this is the Sunum Bonum chapter. That's what it's about, eternal security. It's about the Holy Spirit. And I trust that we all have kind of gotten a pretty good idea. If anybody ever asks us what Romans 8 is about, we can tell them what that is. It uh, really... Uh, where we're at here today, uh, the way that it closes out, it's like a supreme explosion of a grand finale that just leaves you breathless. And how it finishes in such a poetic manner. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And everybody's heard of that. We've heard the other questions before this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who can condemn us? And today, who can separate us from the love of Christ? How could anyone ever lose their salvation according to just this chapter alone? Uh, Like we have said though, it is all over Scripture. How can you miss it? We're talking about a sovereign God completing a sovereign plan and God is never overtaken or beaten by anything, anyone. His plan is going to come true. Absolutely. Definitively. In every way, a 100% guaranteed, it's a surety. (laughs) That's what we can say. There's not a lot of things in life that we can say, I'm absolutely sure. I know without a doubt. We can say, I'm pretty well sure. I almost know. I'm like 99.9%. Because there's a lot of things that we don't know for sure. Most things we don't. And this is one thing, though, we can know for sure. And that's what Paul is really hammering in here. Uh, we are not condemned is the way that Romans 8.1 started. We are justified, are we not? He spent many chapters on justification by faith. We are justified. And so he starts off in 8.1, no condemnation. And that's the opposite of justification. Um, we are not only justified, we are glorified. Let's go all the way back. He had a relationship with us before we were ever created. He knew us. He knew us intimately. He foreknew us. He predestined us. He justified us. He had called us before that. And then He glorified us. And those are terms that God has already done. We are His people. We are His sheep. And we'll be getting into that today because... We are sheep that are more than conquerors. We are conquering sheep. (laughs) Always had a good uh, kind of laugh about that. Conquering sheep. Have you ever seen such a thing? But yes, we are because we have the Lamb of God who was the very one who set all this up for us and he, uh, He was designed to be killed 
and shed His blood for us. He is the conqueror. And we who are in Christ are more than conquerors because of what He did and then what we do on a daily basis. We conquer sin, all the enemies. And so that's what we're going to be dealing with today. So let's uh, grab our Bibles. Let's stand. Let's read this great ending section of Romans 8. What a closing right here. This is the closer of it. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. God, this is truly an awesome passage that we are in. Thank You for giving us the absolute certainty that all who are in Christ will be taken all the way into eternity to be with You. We can't thank You enough for revealing that. You could have held it over our heads. You could have made it very doubtful if we perform to the level that we need to perform to, then we'll make it to heaven. Lord, if that was hanging over us, I know I wouldn't make it, and I don't think anybody here would make it. But we don't have to doubt our salvation if we're truly Yours. We have blessed assurance from this text that we just read. Thank You, Lord, for revealing to us not only this, but the whole counsel of God that's before us in Your very Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Was that my timer that that's, I'm done for the day? <laughs> Actually, we probably could just go after reading this. I mean... This is awesome, this passage. Can't take it for granted. Starts off with uh, verse 35. That next question. It's the last question. It's a great question. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? What a way to start this up, this kind of question. Who could ever try to take the love of Christ from us? Who could do that? We pointed out last week that Satan would be the one that would try it the most, wouldn't he? And we see that there's no way that he can do that. He's a created being. He is not sovereign. God is. He is no match to God, his creator. God is using him like a puppet. And that's the best that he can do. The answer, of course, to this question is found back in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. 
if there's no condemnation, why would we lose the love of Christ that He has for us? And so that goes to the very finish. Do you know, it starts with no condemnation. Do you know how this chapter ends? No separation. No condemnation, no separation. If you're united with Christ, united to Him, you're in Him, you will always be for eternity. Imagine that. That's the way it is. Nothing can ever succeed in detaching us from Christ and there are hostile forces against us every day. Most of the time we don't even know it. Forces. Wickedness. Sin is ever around us. We're this close to being snatched. But it won't happen. See, those hostile forces are so formidable and what Paul does here in, in this chapter is he invites the enemy to come forward and he's telling them that they're never going to succeed in detaching us from Christ. Something to take up to the bank, isn't it? Aren't you glad of that? The love of Christ. The nature of the love of Christ. You think of uh, it's high, it's long, it's broad, it's deep. It's eternal. Donald Gray Barnhouse. He went on to say, it was the love that moved him to leave heaven's throne and come down to earth to redeem us. That love is unchanging, for it is that love which comes to us today in the midst of our need. Whatever it may be, it takes us out of the darkness into His light from doubt to certainty and from death to life. James Montgomery Boyce also said, once the soul has tasted Christ's love, it can never be satisfied with anything else. If you've tasted Christ's love, there is nothing that's even close to it. Agree? Isn't that beautiful? Thank you, James. He's with the Lord right now. I don't know, I think he passed away about 20 years ago. His great dear brother in the Lord he was. I just I never met him, but he read his book, read his books, especially a lot on Romans, Ephesians, and some of the commentaries. He's on radio every Sunday morning. Uh, I think it's 9:30. Yeah. Uh, expositor, a true expositor, where they go verse by verse, word by word, explaining it. Some people call expository just going through chapters of the Bible. They don't explain the depth that's there. How much are they missing? I'd like to challenge someone, please, it's not going to go over the people's head. Does this stuff go over your head? I think it's the opposite. I think it brings in more meaning than it possibly can do. And why would you ever just glaze over this chapter and do it in one week? How can't you do it? But they do. People miss so much. Anyway, Boyce has a couple of volumes or so, I think, actually. I can't remember exactly how many volumes he had on that. I've got them, and I'll probably be going into the next one because I just finished that book. Uh, what, I finished the chapter eight. Anyway, I think there's four volumes, but um, sure have cleaned a lot off of him. And so, each of his books are about this thick, and they're like about uh, four chapters, really tasty. And then Martin Lloyd Jones goes even further than that. Anyway. Uh, deep, deep love of Christ. Now, there are forces that are against us that would like to take that deep, deep, 
deep love of Christ that comes from Him to us, they would like to do that. What are they? Well, they're named here by Paul. By the way, it says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? You can say, what does that mean? Is that, is that our love for Him? Or His love for us? Well, absolutely, it's His love for us. Do we love Him? Yes. What's the context here? It's the love that comes from Christ. Nothing can separate that. How about our love to Him? Oh, it wavers, goes up and down, doesn't it? We could certainly be separated if it was just us loving Him, but not Him loving us. So that has to be pointed out as we start this. So he starts with uh, one of the forces that's against us. It's tribulation. Tribulation. Now, you have to remember, who's writing the book of Romans? Paul. Paul is writing to the Romans. Paul wrote Romans for a lot of reasons, but there definitely was one that sticks out also because there were Christians in Rome who needed to be encouraged highly because there was a possibility of unspeakable kinds of deaths that were happening to Christians even at that time and then later on even more. Some were crucified in mockery of their faith in Christ. Imagine that. They were crucified as Christ was crucified and they mocked uh, Christianity, killing Christians that way. Some were mauled to death by wild beasts. Some were covered in tar and set ablaze there in Rome. So it goes, and that's what Paul uh, maybe was writing about. It would certainly hold true even later on. It would be encouragement for them, that letter would be. Paul himself was killed there just outside the city at Trey Fontaine. And so uh, it was good timing as Paul wrote this. God knows when people need certain things and they need comfort. And of course we have the whole compilation of it here. And so when we go through certain tribulations, we need to be encouraged. And sometimes we turn to the Psalms might be Philippians, some of Paul's letters. You go through the Old Testament wisdom books and Proverbs and such. The word tribulation here is that famous word that Paul uses. Philipsis, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. It means to be pressed down upon. It's a pressure. Have you ever been under pressure? And so this is what uh, Paul is speaking about when he mentions this kind of tribulation. It, it means any kind of tribulation. We would think first think, well, it's tribulation because of persecution. And it could very well be that. But it's many things. It's being pressed down hard. Thlipsis. Cir- circumstances in our daily lives can press down hard on us. And so it be, we recognize that. And of course, you say, well, what kind of things are you talking about? Well, they're very forceful. Uh, a lot of times it can be financial hardships. We've all been there. Every one of us know what it's like to be in that kind of uh, shape. Severe sickness can happen. Also, physical, mental abuse can come upon us. Some have been mistreated, beat up by 
spouses. We've heard of those kind of things. Strength can be just absolutely gone. That's tribulation. And we all go through it. We go through it in this life. It's part of it. So it starts off, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And he says, will tribulation. If somebody brings it on, or whether it's circumstance, we're kind of into the circumstance situation here. Even though it says who. He's been saying that all along. Who will bring a charge? Who will condemn us? Who will separate us? Uh, will tribulation, will that uh, pressure that we have, will it separate us from the love of Christ? Uh, no. It cannot separate you from Christ. No matter how bad the tribulation is, no matter what you've gone through, believe me, there are some who've really gone through severe tribulation here. We understand. The next word is distress. Steno, Korea, Greek. You don't have to pronounce that word, but it's in two parts. Is why I'm emphasizing that. The word in two parts means narrow and space. You ever been in a narrow space? Really confined and restricted? Where you don't feel like you can make another move? You've been in a situation like that. What do I do now, right? We are confined sometimes in a narrow and restricted space. You could take a man, let's say, late in his life, let's say uh, in, in his 50s, or maybe even 60s, but uh, we'll go back to the 50s or even the 40s, and uh, he has a wife and he has kids, so it might apply to the 40s even more so. And he's got to make a living for them at the job that he's at. It's a dead end. He cannot go up the ladder. And he really can't even go sideways over here. And if he does, he's not, he's not going to be promoted. He's not going to be making any more financial, uh, I guess you can say, something where that would be maybe distributed a little bit more to him. It uh, doesn't happen. And he doesn't see any way out. He knows he's made a commitment to his family to be able to meet their needs and now it's getting close to where he can't even get the bills paid. What does he do? He feels confined. What can he do, right? He could be thinking about, well, I could take my freedom as many men do and they leave their families and they leave their, uh, the wife and the children and for them to take care of themselves. And so now he's free. And so he's not restricted anymore but because of real commitment, we know that that's not the thing to do, isn't it? So, nothing can deprive of one's love that Christ has given to them even though they are under distress. Uh, a single woman living by herself, uh, with at least no husband, and then like six kids has no one to help her and she's only only makes so much money and she's working two jobs and she's not making ends meet, not even making rent. What is she going to do? Well, uh, we know that that happens quite frequently. That's called distress. But it cannot separate you from the love of Christ. 
We're not giving answers to these today. We know that these things come, people go through them, and you can probably, some of you might even identify with this thoroughly. Tribulation, distress. Another one is persecution, Paul says. Shall persecution take us from the love of Christ? The word is uh, <coughs> diogo. It means to be pursued by someone with the intent of harm. And we all get the idea. We know this. I don't really have to define these words very uh, much, really. It's a, this is a normal response whenever Christians have made a witness, maybe uh, by what they've spoken, obviously, or by the way they live, and it convicts the unbelieving world. The unbelieving world, when they find out what a Christian really believes, they hate it. Either that or they're driven to Christ. One or the other. There's no in-between. A lot of people see us and they want what we have, and that's great. And so God will use those people to drive them to Him. But others say, oh no. Matter of fact, a lot of them would just like us dead. Uh, they would rather see us dead than uh, be around and where they get convicted. So therefore, there was a book written called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Most of you are probably familiar with it. There were multiple volumes of this, and uh, if you get a chance, if you haven't read it, read it one of these days, and you will be, uh, I think, very humbled and how easy we have it today compared to much of the body of Christ down through church history. So Fox wrote uh, about the martyrs of Christ who stood for Christ's sake, people that we will meet one of these days, they ought to be our heroes, at least as far as humanness is concerned. They gave their lives because they were sold out to Christ. Are we really sold out to Christ or do we just say, yeah, I believe in Christ. I, I go to church sometimes. Or are we really, do we really mean it? Do we live it so much that people know what you believe and who you are? Well, in the early days of the church, Christians were in Rome, other places, sometimes were put in sacks like gunny sacks, wrapped up, tied up to a tree and then torched to light up the night sky just for some entertainment. Let's get the Christians tonight. It's Saturday night. Woohoo! Can you imagine that? And that's what they did. Uh, other Christians, of course, were taken to the Colosseum, amphitheaters. A show was put on there as the lions were put out. And, of course, we're all familiar with that story. And, of course, they were fed to the lions. And the Roman citizens loved it. They packed out the stadium by the tens of thousands. Persecution may separate us from the more worldly future or more attractive image that we could have. Christian... They don't like a, you're kind of looked down upon like, and we're getting to this, sheep. <laughs> That's kind of the way that we're looked at. Uh, we're not that attractive in what we believe and all those outdated morals. Especially in the day that we live now, we are almost, well, I'd say we're just about against everything that the world is now talking about. 
whether it be the, the gender deal, you know, that's the hottest issue, it seems like, and something else comes along that seems absolute, where there shouldn't be any disagreement at all, and it just, go, it just goes on and on in everything. So we tell what's right, and they hate us for it. Um, the next word is famine. Uh, famine could result from a lack of rain, which means a lack of crops. Old Testament, we see this quite frequently. Uh, sometimes there would be a seven-year famine. Uh, people had trouble getting food, had trouble getting water. Uh, it might come from natural disasters like earthquakes, fires, and floods. Famine can come from a lot of different ways. It's basically focusing on hunger. Hunger is a terrible thing, and there are millions of people that hunger today. It's shame. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. And it tells you the extent of what the curse of sin does. It's We hardly feel it here. I don't think there's really anybody here that's really ever gone real hungry, maybe for a day or two, but have you gone hungry for weeks without any food at all? But if you were to take it to the literal idea of it, it can't separate us. Famine cannot separate us from the love of Christ. That's a basic name, food is, isn't it? And so Paul is, is hitting now at basic needs. We have to have food. We have to have water. We have to have clothes. So the next word, he talks about nakedness. And when you see that word, you think of the modern idea of nakedness, and you think of today, you know, of course, that we've got a problem in this country, nudity and pornography. That just seems to be some kind of a billion dollar industry, or if it's not trillion, uh, it, it's so encompassing. But in Paul's day, it was all associated with lack of clothes, not having a basic thing like clothes, shelter. Uh, the previous one, that was famine, that was food. Here it's clothes. Basic need of life that people can be deprived of. I don't think we have anybody here that uh, has been naked in their life in the sense of having no clothes. Uh, if that be the case, if you got one set of clothes, you can go many places and get them for free. Of course, uh, many churches are glad to give that. We don't have that problem here, so it, to us it's almost meaningless. But one day it could be that that be the case. We take it for granted, don't we? How many clothes do we have? We've got so much in our closets that we try to figure out what to do with them. We have no idea, do we? But it's a basic need. It gets us back to the fundamentals, doesn't it? When we think of this, because then, I mean, you were considered rich if you had more than three changes of clothes. More than one, maybe. So that's why Paul uses these words. They seem stretched out and far from our meaning, but we do know that this has happened through church history, and we do know that it could be included in our very future. So Paul is saying, if you get into this situation, 
I want to tell you, it still won't separate you from the love of God. Next word is peril. Peril. What's that? Uh, Christians have been attacked, beaten, killed. Haldane wrote that. Reformer. Uh, wrote some excellent books. Great commentary on Romans. He said, dangers can be exceedingly great and numerous. Dangers. This will get you into the point of, of realizing you're facing dangers all day long. You don't know it. I don't know it. You don't know how close you are to the worst kind of dangers that go through all throughout the day. So Holding says this, if God were not the protector, even in this land of freedom, the followers of the Lamb would be cut off or injured. It's the Lord's providence that averts such injuries or overrules events for the protection of His people. The time never yet was when the Lord's people could be safe if circumstances removed restraint from the wicked. What if the restraint was removed and wickedness could just do whatever it wanted to all Christians, the whole church. It would, if it could. God could remove those restraints. You know, in Second uh, Thessalonians, it talks about the great restrainer, and I'm not going to get into that right now. Don't have enough time. But the great restrainer, what if he is removed from this earth? All hell, literally, break loose. All the way up to this time, he's kept in... Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. It's really bad. It's worse than bad. But you know what? It's not as bad as it can be when people think of the depravity of man. And the doctrines of grace we have that. The depravity of man. That's what we start with. you know. If you understand that, then everything else falls into place in the doctrines of grace. If you really understand that, and the more that you grow in Christ, the more that time goes by, how much you start becoming aware of sin that is all around you. Constantly, everywhere. The curse of sin... It's always reminding us of Genesis 3. The peril that is there. Well, I like what Haldane said here on that last sentence. It's the Lord's providence that averts such injuries or overrules events for the protection of His people. That time never yet was when the Lord's people could be safe if circumstances removed restraint from the wicked. He does it all the time. The dangers are all around us, even here in America. And the last one, he says, sword. See, all of these are like the ones that are attacking the love that Christ has for us, and he finishes off with sword. This is the further or the furthest extremity, such as Christians being executed, murdered because of their faith. The sword.
You want to know something? Paul, after he wrote this, after Romans, after a time period, there was a time that it was time for him to die. They were going to kill him, and they did. They executed him. And the story goes that they uh, killed him by the sword as he was beheaded. The sword. It's almost like Paul predicted his own death there. But he mentioned all the other ones. Uh, not that he knew exactly what was going to happen, but uh, the sword, who severs the head off, which sever, severs the head off, the sword can never sever the love of Christ that's given to us. You see how far he's gone, the extremities, to where it's even death? And it means when you die, you actually have the best day of your life. Now that is odd. Dennis, don't say that. Please, somebody might hear what you just said. Take a snippet, and they're going to say, hey, it's a great, the best day you can have is when you die. Well, actually, it is, because we get to be with the Lord in His presence. We get to be with what we have been talking about here in Romans 8 and all over the future. That's what we really look forward to. So, but I don't want to go around saying, hey, I look forward to my death. All right, bring it on. You know, That's not what I am saying, but I am saying as soon as you die, you are immediately in the presence of God. There's no soul sleep. There's no time in between. You are with Him immediately. And that's why whenever I've done funerals for Christians, uh, people even out of our church here who passed away and gone on, I guess you could say I, I feel a little jealous because they got to go before I did. They're there already. But we also have that for a time of uh, remembrance and a time of encouragement for the ones who are very close to them. And we also are, we want to be uh, there for them. So I don't say that just and just, but I also say that uh, isn't it a great thing when all of a sudden we are in the presence of the Lord? That's what it's going for. So, Paul writes this. And as Paul writes it, I think he's not only going to draw from Scripture that he has read before, he's also influenced by the Holy Spirit, and that's called really inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. And he's also using experience here because he did go through these kind of things. I think it was very vivid to Paul as he wrote this letter to the Romans. He felt compelled to establish that martyrdom has already been prophesied for people who are believers. We can't get away from them. Those who are in Christ will be persecuted. Some of them will die because of it. This has been throughout history, all throughout biblical history. And uh, Paul is drawing from a prophecy as we read 36. And I think, first of all, it seems like it's Paul. And he identified it, but it's definitely back in the Old Testament time period because we know the prophets were killed then too. Or anybody who spoke for God or just 
believers in general. That's why it says we. And so I definitely see Paul in it, but I also see as we read this, us. But he could say this as he wrote to his people that he encouraged. He says, I die daily. I'm ready to give up my life. I almost died. You know how many times Paul almost died? And he should have died? How many times have you guys died? Or almost died? Uh, I think Paul, as he writes this, there's a piece of him that has experienced this. Uh, and we know that there uh, was a time whenever it was like he went up to be, he was caught up into the third heaven. It's probably when he was actually stoned to death. But then the Lord brought him back, but he showed him some things. My grace is sufficient for you and all of that whole idea. But uh, Paul could not even utter those things that he saw. There was no human language. God probably told him you can't even begin to even tell what this is. That's how great it is. I'm probably, I was probably thinking that Paul would say, uh, man, I'd kind of rather stay here. But he was torn though too, wasn't he? To be here on earth and realize that he still has a ministry here. But even better, to be with the Lord. So one of two places we can't lose. We're meant to be here till now until we're meant to be with Him. How can we lose on this? And we know the love of Christ can never be taken from us. So Paul quotes Psalm 44.22. You turn there and you see something very familiar. And you'll go, Dennis, why did we even turn there? We could read it in Romans. But for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul was like a sheep. Considered to be slaughtered. The unbelieving realm who does not want you, they see you as sheep. Dirty sheep. And you should be killed. You're worthless. You're nothing. They see you as somebody who needs to be slaughtered or better yet, sheep. I, I like that analogy of sheep. Sheep, you know, it's interesting. They are kind of helpless. They get so much... I always like this one, the comparison to sheep. They sometimes fall and they fall over on their back and they have so much wool on them they can't turn over. And if they don't have a shepherd to come and help them back up, they die. Or wolves attack. And so sheep are so vulnerable. Sheep can't even run very good. You know, I mean, they're not speedy, are they? Uh, they were very vulnerable out there. And of course, we, we know Psalm 23 and you have the shepherd there. And the whole idea is quite uh, an analogy. 
It's funny that the church can be called sheep. We're called many things. We're called the bride. Uh, you know, we're warriors. Uh, you know, the church, the, the called out ones. You know, you go on and on, and, and there are many ways. And, and it's pictures to help see who we are. But I'll tell you what, in John 10, it talks about the sheep. The sheep know their shepherd. Better yet, the shepherd knows his sheep. What about the other ones? Wait, what? The goats? Yeah, he knows those too. But he knows his sheep, doesn't he? And he knows how to take care of them all the way to the point that they come on home. And that is what is exciting. Uh, sheep do some really stupid things. Yes. You know, if you're around sheep enough, and I'm not, I think probably some of you have been and, and have seen them, and of course, you know, in the Middle East, that's a common thing. Uh, but the forerunner of us as sheep was the Lamb of God. He wasn't stupid. He didn't do stupid things. Everything was perfect. He was ordained before the foundation of the world to be the Lamb of God that would shed the blood for us sheep. He led the way. He's also a shepherd. The good shepherd. The chief shepherd. The great shepherd. Psalms 22, 23, 24. That's what you see. It's Christ. It's the shepherd. In Romans 8, we see what could be possible separators that people could bring up. The tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Hey, you know what? Can that separate us from the love of Christ? Of course not. Uh, eventually, we know that Paul uh, goes through those dangers. He's martyred. Paul is in the presence of the Lord right now. The Apostle Paul, one who wrote this. He's in the very presence of God, enjoying that thoroughly. His time was short here on earth, 60s, something like that. Then he was taken, and he goes, this is what this is all about. Right here, where he's at now. Christ's love was not taken from him, was it? Never. Look at all the things he went through. Boy, I got a feeling I had to work on the head. I imagine there were times that Paul, because of his humanness, even like Christ's humanness, Father, if possible, take this cup from me. All the things that Paul went through, he'd say, well, what were those things? I know that he kept landing in jail all the time and had to be persecuted there. And Let's go to just a little review here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 29. This is really a summation of it all. And there are false teachers going around and the Judaizers and such. And uh, anyway, he's going to have to do some boasting here. Sometimes you have to tell what you've done because people forget or they don't know what you do. Sometimes they need to be reminded. And that's where Paul is at. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I am more so. He's boasting in the Lord, though. Watch. Far more labors, far more imprisonments, 
beaten times without number. You can't even count it. In danger of death, five times I received from the Jews, his own people, 39 lashes. That's as far as you could go because they say if you get to the 40th, you probably are dead. He went up as far as he could five times that happened. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Remember what happened that? He's caught up to the third heaven. Probably died. But came back to life. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day spent in the deep. Some kind of a plank from the from the boat he's hanging on to for a night and a day. I'm about ready to give up this Christian thing. Right there, that's enough. I'm done with it, man. I'm tired of it. Well, he says, I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers. Now look at the word danger. We saw that word danger earlier, didn't we? We had dangers all around us. Some of these things we could experience in our life. Dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me. I've got a feeling that word pressure, I didn't look at it, I should have. I think that's probably philipsis, which is the being pressed down upon. And it's talking about daily things and ministering to God's people. Daily pressure on me is concern for all the churches. How many churches did he start? He's concerned for every individual in there. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I'll boast of what pertains to my weakness. Those are weaknesses, aren't they? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever knows that I'm not lying. Everything I'm telling you here is truth. People go, oh, come on, Paul. You're kind of adding on to that, aren't you? Come on. A little blowing it out a little much here. Blowing smoke in Damascus. The ethnarch under Aretas. This is one thing you forgot to mention. Says the king was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. The great city of Damascus. And the king wants Paul to be caught. you got to get him. He's in Damascus. How's he going to get out of this? Man, I mean, they have all the soldiers and guards around. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. That's humbling, folks. The great apostle Paul, and he's let down out of a window on the wall in the city and he ran out of there. That is, uh, this is the great Apostle Paul who serves the whole world giving the truth of Jesus Christ and started churches up. He has written all these epistles that we read today. What an author, what a scholar, what a teacher, what a philosopher. 
What a man of God. And we miss a little bit of sleep because we stayed up late and we, we don't go to be with God's people. God is there. That's why you go to church. He's, as, he's expecting you to be there. And I guess it, oh, there he goes again. Now, let me qualify that. Let me qualify it. Are there times of vacation here? Absolutely. Look at this gentleman right here. He's got a Hawaiian shirt on. Been to Hawaii for going on close to two weeks. Did you guys see his pictures on Facebook? If you do, get on there, look him up. Look at the pictures. Those things are professional. Now, I'm just saying that because he's got a professional business there and I'm trying to promote him here. <laughs> Actually, yeah, those are professional pictures. They really are. It's a blessing. And so am I getting after people who have things to do or taking a vacation or there's family matters or those things? I'm not saying that. But I am saying, if you look at this right here, and we just hit and miss, and we're here once a month, or we just don't check in, you know, I've got things to do. How do we measure up to this just going to church? He's talking about he's going to go to church to what? He's going to come back around after he started churches and he's going to go there to encourage them and preach them to the Word of God and remind them. We need to be reminded. That's what we're here for too, to worship God, to be reminded. So we'll already know it all. Oh, don't say that. Don't say that. What would Paul say to that? What would Peter say that? Peter says, I say these things to nothing new, but it's there to remind you. If you already know all these things, we are here to worship God. We're here to learn about God. We're here to be reminded about God. I just got reminded by Paul. To be honest with you, I got convicted and I want to take it out on you guys because I look at these things and I'm going, oh man, I complain about not getting enough sleep, you know, and having to go to work and all those hard things and all the dangers that are around workplace. I'm in the safest an area I can be. Some of you have harder conditions to work in, machinery and things. And uh, you know, I'm just looking at this labor, hardship, hunger, without food, in cold where there's no heat, exposure, out in the ocean with a plank of wood you're hanging on. I mean, that the 39 lashes five times. I can't even. I can't even start to compare with this. That's what I'm saying, but yet we make excuses all the time, don't we? About whatever. Hey, have you been in the Word? Well, you know, I, I haven't had much time lately. Hey, have you been praying? Oh, I know, I need to be praying, but I, I, I prayed a few months ago. Whoa. You breathed? You can breathe that long? Prayer is, is like breathing, right? I, I actually heard that the other day. Some a Christian told me that. I says, "Well, I, I got to where I had to pray." I said, "Well, when was that?" He says, "Ah, oh, it's about six months ago." Who? Mm -hmm. 
that's very humbling when I read this. It really did. And he's saying, you know, hey, um, we go back to Romans as we look at that Second Corinthians passage. I'm sorry, I had to had to read that. I, I had to look at it this week and feel it. <laughs> and to be convicted by it. Um, thank the Lord that I don't go through those kind of things, but we still go through things, don't we? We still go through these things that Paul has mentioned. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And that leads us now to verse 37. And we go to part 2, more than conquerors. But in all these things, now we mentioned seven of those things, dangers and all that, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. After all of that, that we have coming against us, if you have all of those things or one of those things, and I know every one of us has those different things coming at us. And the good news is, I give you good news, folks. I give you this to remind us. We overwhelmingly conquer. And we're sheep. We are conquering sheep. Overwhelmingly conquer. And so I had to really giggle at that again this week. Sheep that conquer. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That is just absolutely outrageous. Sheep that conquer. Christians are like sheep. You know, as I was saying a while ago, they're weak. Uh, it can be considered to be helpless, despised, a helpless flock of sheep. This is more than an ordinary conquering here. It's more than an ordinary action. How can those who are despised, rejected, and persecuted in famine, nakedness, danger, and sword be thought of as overwhelmingly conquerors? How in the world can that happen? Paul, you've gone insane! <laughs> um, how can, after we've been so rejected and we've had so many things against us, be overwhelmingly conquering? It's through the person of Christ. Jesus was the very prototype of the true sheep that are there to be slaughtered. The Lamb was slain. The Lamb was slain from the creation of the world. He was the super conqueror, and that's how we get the definition of our word here. hyper nakoman Hyper-hooper or super. Ah, uh, super conqueror. Now, did you hear the word Nike there? Nikoman. Nike means victory. It means to conquer. We all know the shoe company. Nike. And it got its name from that, obviously. So you put the words together and you've got super conqueror. Overwhelmingly conquer. Why is that? Because we have enemies against us that are hostile and dangerous. Why are we called super conquerors? Because the enemy can be very prodigious. We are to stand firm and to fight on to victory. According to Ephesians 6.12, we know that passage, but... Just a reminder, when those things come up, when we have supernatural forces that are against us, we don't see it, 
But we know something's going around us that's supernatural, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. There's a demonic thing happening in the world, folks. These leaders, all the leaders of the nations that are caving in, they're caving in to Satan and the demonic realm because they are the ones that are trying to destroy people. So the people who are not of God, they just follow the orders. They're pawns to the demonic realm. And so there's our explanation of what is going on. And I just thought of one, it's just for funny. Um, I don't know, I might get in trouble for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, you, you think of Democrats, and today it seems like they are against everything we believe in. Like I say, I don't know how you could be a Christian or a Democrat today. I mean, maybe years ago, but now, I mean, they're against everything that stands for, whether it be life, anything pertaining to God's Word and truth. And uh, the, the, the Word came to me. Just by adding one little letter, Democrat. What do you think of that? We got a lot of Democrats around here that they're inspired by demons. Um, anything that this and, and really, it's rulers against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's dangers all around us, folks. And yet we are more than conquerors against something that is much more powerful than us. We could never beat Satan on our own, but in Christ we are more than conquerors. So why are we called more than conquerors? Hostile forces, and what does Christ tell us? Stand firm against these. Stand up, stand firm. You're going to win this battle, this war. You are more than conquerors. It's a lifelong battle. It's a lifelong battle. In spiritual warfare, there are no truces. There are no armistice days. There are no intervals. It just keeps on going on. I have to think of Mike. Mike, were you involved in the Vietnam War? It it probably seemed like it went on forever. And you can go day and night without sleep, right? That can happen. You're not shaking your head, but um, it, it was, the perils were definitely there. Dangers were there. And it was kind of probably like constant for the time that you were there involved in it. Now, here's the spiritual warfare. At least you were able to finally get out of that war, get out of your service in the army, and go and live a civilian life. No longer were you involved in that. But the thing is, you now are involved in a spiritual battle that never has any rest. Well, say, so, wait a minute, I have rest? No, it's not happening all the time. Oh, well, see, the enemy never takes a day off. The enemy never takes an hour off, a moment, a minute off, a second off. The enemy is constantly going up against you. There's no truces, folks. From the moment we are made partakers of the divine nature, we become targets of the world, the flesh, the devil. There's never a moment of reprieve. Our conquest is more than a conquest, isn't it? It's more than a one-time thing. It is constant. It's always 
always no rest in this world in that sense. The battle's always on. Although we're resting today, we're resting in Christ, we're resting in a worship. But therefore, because we're in more than a conquest, what are we called? Therefore, we are more than conquerors because of the battle that we are in. It doesn't let up. My mind lets up on it. I forget that battle all the time. The enemy says, yeah, I know that. (laughs) Stand firm always. Stand firm. Be ready. Be ready. The ones God foreknew, predestined, He called, justified, He glorified, according to His sovereign will and purpose, He thrusts us into a spiritual struggle that Satan would be allowed to attack, to persecution, and even kill. What did you just say? Our battle really is against the enemy. But God thrust us into that because we are more than conquerors and it's what makes us strong. It would be, I guess you could say, it really it's not an intolerable hardship that all the things that we go through because many of the Christians who were killed, they really were happy to endure all these persecutions and trials for Jesus. They were happy to do it. And this is the wisdom of God. God has ordered history to do this. It's for our good. Our sufferings endure for how long? A moment. But they achieve an eternal victory. Do you take Jesus seriously? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want us to encourage us to have a passion like we've not had before. We, like all Americans, are spoiled. All the physical blessings we get. It takes discipline to live this Christian life. It's hard work. 1 Corinthians 9.24 Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? It's using the Olympic uh, all the, the contests that they had. Running, wrestling, and all that. So he uses this. Run in such a way that you may win. Give it full effort. Give everything that you have. This is not a halfway thing. Do it. Nike, conquer. (laughs) Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. They want to get that perishable wreath. What's the big deal about that? It's only going to die. Yeah, but whenever that's put around you, it's showing I accomplished what I set out to do and I won. All Christians are encouraged to win. It's a dead heat. Wouldn't it be great? We all win. Well, we do, but we have a battle here. But we have an imperishable wreath. It's here for eternity. 
Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. The reason I'm running and really sticking to this discipline is because I want to win. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. If we go around giving the gospel to people all over the place and yet at the same time, we're not living that gospel, what impact is that going to have on people? Yeah, yeah, I know he says those things, or they say that thing, she says those things, but you ought to see what they do at work. Or you ought to see what they do over there in uh, wherever, like in, in Walmart. You know? Or you ought to see what they do out on the highway. So, it's discipline and striving for a crown. There are rewards that are given. The reward when we step into the presence of Christ. You know what the goal of warfare is? Why does God do that? For His glory. See, that's an automatic answer. It's just like in Sunday school. Every answer is Jesus. And uh, we say that, yes, and we all say, for the glory of God. Everything that we do is to the glory of God. This really gives God glory. Let's finish up, folks. Two verses. And I promise it's going to go quicker than the other verses. I know we've been on this for a time now. For I'm convinced. I'm persuaded. I'm 100% sure. I will guarantee you this. Absolutely, without doubt, how can I make this across enough? I am convinced, fully persuaded, that neither death nor life, notice the pattern, death, life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's how we're finishing it. Boy, that is quite an array. It's, it's like a machine gun going off there at the end, isn't it? Pow, 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 pow. Wow. This is the way you end a chapter. Holy Spirit powered there. Paul is convinced, persuaded without a doubt. He's talking about death is uh, probably one of the greatest of all separators. It separates from life itself. From places. It separates from this place to another place. It separates people that we love. It separates us. Men fear death just like children fear the dark. Right? And as Christians, we don't fear death. We know 1 Corinthians 15, 54, 57. 2 Timothy 1, 10. Uh, you can look those up if you like. Christ conquered death. The separator became the uniter. He united us with Christ. Uh, another one. Okay, it says death, then you have life. Life? Life can't even separate. What happens in life? Well, a lot of the things that we just talked about. The miseries that go in life. Sometimes... Would you agree that sometimes life is more cruel than even death? You see, death can be a release or a mercy when people are suffering. Uh, the political aftermaths of wars sometimes separate members of families from one another. Sometimes poverty 
separates people from others. They have to leave, move to a different place to make enough money to live. As we age, mobility becomes limited. Life is tough. You get older. Start losing your eyesight. Start losing your hearing. Start losing your mind. (laughs) Start losing your memory. That's why I say it's a victory whenever I can say people's names. Even when I've known them for years, and all of a sudden there is a space in my mind that just like, zoop. You know, it's like in the computer, what do they call that? A glitch. How how could I do that? I think I could forget my own name. Uh, Oh, Carol. So if I ever do that, say, he's trying to think of my name and he's not doing very good at it. I've got an excuse. Just kind of getting old. Memory's kind of dim. Angels, demons. Uh, Well, even in Galatians 1.8, beware about angels or messengers delivering the gospel that is not the gospel of grace. Uh, But let's say angels being the good angels. But they would never separate us from the love of God. No, no, no. So, you know, it's, it's, it's putting here what I think would be demons. and You know, those demons would be... because Everything goes back to the cross. And I'm really trying to finish this up. But in Colossians 2, 13 through 15, when He has disarmed the rulers and authorities, when He had done that, He made a public display of them. Total victory having triumphed over them through Him, having conquered. That's where the conquering came at, the cross. That's why we have victory. Everything that we are more than conquers overwhelmingly because He overwhelmingly did it. And it's like He says, look at this. I beat them all. I beat Satan, all the demons, anything that can come against you, I beat death. Uh, The next one is present and future. What about all the present things uh, that's pressing in on us? All those things that we've already looked at today and many other things. And then he gets into the time present and things to come. Whatever the time period is that we're going through now. How about the things to come? Things that are going to be trials and persecutions and whatever else for you. Tribulation. Whatever is in the future. It's not going to separate you from the love of Christ. Boy, what a guarantee. You know what he's doing here? He's trying to think of everything that he can, and he does. Powers is dunamis, dynamite. No powers anywhere, everywhere. There's no powers. Then we get nor height, nor depth, and now he's considering space, the universe, Whatever's out there, as high as it can be, reaching an apex, which, is there an apex there or depth? What he's trying to do is take us to the extremities, everything that he can possibly bring us to that could be a threat to us. And we're trying to think everything, and I'll tell you what, here's where the uh, one who believes he can lose salvation, they say, oh, I've got one. Paul has just said, I thought of them all, and they said, no, you didn't, Paul. Yourself. That can separate it. You can turn out to be an apostate. You can be a true believer and then turn around and walk the other way, and now, what are you? Well, you're one who lost your salvation. 
So they, they really got it all there. They, I mean, they surpassed Paul, didn't they? Say, so where did you get that at? Well, in the Scripture here, it says height. I mean, he's thought of everything. Paul is covering the whole universe. There's nothing, right? Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Anything that's ever been created. And that covers me. If we're truly His. You might have to go through a lot of discipline by the Lord. But if you're really His, and He loved you from the very beginning, go ahead and do what you're doing. You're going to suffer really badly, but I will tell you, you're going to be with the Lord in heaven. Actually, I don't think too many believers would just do what I gave an example there of. And it makes me think, is that guy really a believer if he's saying that? Paul gets this from Scripture. He gets it from his the very truth that comes straight from God. And it was his testimony that he just gave here too. And it's ours. We're in here. We. We are more than conquerors. There is nothing in all of heaven and earth. Whenever I say heaven, heavens, the universe that can compare to this kind of assurance. I wish I would have picked out the song Blessed Assurance. No condemnation, Romans 8.1. No separation, Romans 8.39. How could we ever lose the love of Christ? Can you imagine anything greater? What's greater than this? This is mountaintop. You know, you've been loved from eternity to eternity. This is what we get to tell each other. This is what we sing about, we pray about. This is what it's all about. This is God's plan. And we're fitting right in it. He does whatever it takes to make us holy. One day we'll be perfectly holy. Did you know He loves you right now? And He'll love you in the future? No more, no less. Never changes. He's unchanging. Oh, love, that will not let me go. Let's pray. Father, holy, great God, we have just finished what I believe, to my, at least my own self, is one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. And every word that you have is inspired and it's all great. How can anything go bad ultimately when you're working it for good? For those who love you, and we love you because you first loved us in eternity past as you foreknew us and predestined us to be exactly in the image of Christ. And so you called us so that we'd be declared righteous, justified, and in your eyes, we've been glorified. We wait for that day. Lord, I am in awe as I stand back and think of what you have done and are doing right now and will do. There is nothing. I am sold on it. I bank on it. I have my whole life trusting in this person of Jesus Christ.
his work, and his person. That's all for me. And thank you for that great, unfathomable love that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. We finished with about being more than conquerors. And there is a song that I just kind of thought of basically yesterday. And so therefore I didn't have it made in the bulletin. Didn't have the lyrics, but I did copy some down real quick this morning. It's called More Than Conquerors. Now, I lost my... It just came off. And guess what? I couldn't get it. I'm having a time. I'm having a time. Okay, I've got chords up here. <laughs> One day, folks, we are going to hire a technician. We are going to do that. That is my goal. Now we did a song earlier, or we didn't do it, but we're going to do it now. So now this is all gone. So I just print the whole thing. And so I'm going to go here and right there. Okay. And now it's right right here. And the TVs are not going to come on. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. give you a chorus here is all I'm going to do. I'm going to, is it there? Okay. Must have jerked it out, right? Just took a little bit to warm up. Okay. Thank you. It's that song, We Are More Than Conquerors. We Are More Than Conquerors. God, if you are for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. God, if you are for us, who can be against us? That's the chorus. That's all. It's going to be on the next slide. This other one, I'll just kind of get us there. You just look at the words because it starts off with, now there is no condemnation.
stand. God, if you are for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors. We are more than Thank you. 